Welcome to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers to provide you with tips, tactics, and strategies so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. I'm your host, Kerry Shumway, a CPA, CFO for a brewery, and a former CFO for a beer distributor. I've spent the last 20 years using finance to improve financial results in our beer business. Now I'm helping other craft breweries to do the same. Are you ready to take your brewery financial results to the next level? Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast. My name is Carrie Shumway and I'll be your host. Today I sit down with Maria Pierman, a CPA with the firm of Perkins & Co. Maria and I talk about a wide variety of topics, including the top financial issues that are facing breweries today, typical mistakes that Maria sees with brewery businesses related to accounting or financial reporting or taxes, and we get into financial year-end planning, best practices for breweries. We also talk about Maria's new book, Small Brewery Finance, Accounting Principles, and Planning for the Craft Brewer. So please enjoy my conversation with Maria Pierman. Maria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. So give the uh, listeners some background on your firm. So tell us a bit about the services you guys provide and the clients that you serve. Sure. Uh, I'm a CPA and I focus on the beverage alcohol space. Um, I'm with a firm called Perkins and Company and we're in Portland, Oregon. We're a full service accounting firm. And that means that we provide tax audit, bookkeeping, controller services, contract CFO services, uh, valuation, business transaction services, which means like we help support mergers and acquisitions transactions. So anything that might need accounting uh, support, we can help with. Um, We're headquartered in Portland, Oregon, but we've got clients around the country. And that um, varies to some degree, depending on which industry you're talking about in terms of our client base. But in the beverage alcohol space, we have clients around the country and a couple international but primarily, you know, U.S. And they're um, about as evenly distributed as it is the the industry itself. So heavier on the coasts and then um, less so in the middle part of the country. Um, so in terms of our beverage alcohol clients, we, we serve beer, cider, spirits, seltzer, kombucha, wine, of course, is a big thing in, in the uh, Willamette Valley where, where we are. But um, I predominantly work in the beer, cider, spirit space. Gotcha. It's, it's interesting because uh, many, many years ago I worked, you know, that's where I kind of started out as a CPA, working in a CPA firm. And it was, I'm going to say, I don't think we had any remote clients, meaning we would literally physically go, Do you is that a trend or do, is that more peculiar to kind of the beer industry, the beverage industry, as far as having a sort of a remote uh, service option like that? Uh, I think that it, I wouldn't say it's a general trend for accounting firms, but I do think that the more a firm specializes in a particular industry or, or area that it becomes um, more common because, you know, people might seek you out for your knowledge in a certain area, even though you're not down the street from them. So it tends to follow that specialization. Gotcha. 
You mentioned a number of services that your firm provides. I'm just curious on the uh, mergers and acquisitions or transaction side. Are you, you know, given what's going on in the world, are you seeing activity there or what's going on? Yeah, uh, I mean, generally speaking, in all in all industries, uh, mergers and acquisitions are hot and heavy right now. Um, there are, you know, it's funny anytime there's an there's an election year, it kind of um, picks up the activity. There are some people who want to hasten along their the sale of their business. There are some people who want to hasten along the purchase of a business. So you know, like there can be heightened activity on both sides in a year like this. Um, in the beer space, uh, it's not particularly hot in terms of business transactions right now. Um, and when I use the term beer, I, I mean pretty much any beverage alcohol. But um, it's not particularly hot, at least in terms of, of, of the business that our firm is doing. Gotcha. Okay. As far as clients, uh, you know, I asked this question a lot just to try to get maybe a better understanding for our listeners of who might be a good client for your firm. But how, how do you guys look at that? Like, is it the size of the brewery, maybe their budget that they have, maybe it's types of services they need? How do you kind of find out if there's a match there? Yeah. I mean, to some degree, a client needs to be of a certain size for it to make sense for them to, to pay the fees associated with an outsource partner. Um, but that's, you know, it's not a, a stringent barrier. I'd say if I were painting a picture of like the client that we're best suited to work with, it might be someone with seven to $15 million in revenue. Um, that generally speaking tends to be the area of revenue in terms of like business size where things are, um, like there needs to be some type of consistent oversight from a controller or CFO level, but perhaps not enough to command a full-time CFO or controller. And it's a really nice size space where someone can fit in on, you know, maybe a fractional level. So you're not uh, committing to having a whole body who has a high salary, uh, but instead you can kind of tailor it to what your business needs. Um, once you get outside of that range, I would argue that there is more of a case to have someone in-house helping you out. Um, and then in terms of characteristics of businesses that are great clients are, you know, people who have a desire to improve their business through the use of data. Um, I think one of the things that we do best is helping people uncover data so that they can make better informed decisions about their business. So um, that, you know, characteristic, having a curiosity around that and a willingness to um, invest in data is a great indicator that uh, we might have a successful relationship. Just do you have, because I like that point of using the information, because a lot of times, well, I'll speak from my own experience. A lot of times we would we would be working with clients and it felt like a compliance, you know, I got to get the tax return done. You got to get the financials done because the bank wants it. Not always, but, you know, and there was usually a, a little bit of time at the end where you felt like you could add some value, i.e. what you just said, use data to improve the business. So do you have an example of what that might look like? Like what data and or how might you guys find it and or implement it so they can improve their business with that? Yeah. I mean, a really simple example is uh, the brewery who comes to you and 
They're using an accounting system where, I mean, technically all of the information might be correct and complete, and it's not a matter of, of whether it's correct, but um, they might have a restaurant operation coupled with wholesale sales where uh, there's no distinction between those lines of business. And um, so they have no visibility into, no, no real visibility into the success of their company. Um, yeah, they have this sort of vanilla look at uh, profitability uh, margin. And so we can help them pull that apart and see the performance of each business line. Um, that's a pretty common, uh, pretty common example that we run across in our services. Mm, I see that a lot myself. And I, yeah, I preach that word as well. You gotta, I mean, how do you know, particularly, these days when you're doing maybe tap room, maybe working with a wholesaler, maybe doing self-distribution, you've got really three businesses there, each with different operational and financial things that need to be tracked. So let me shift gears. I want to ask you how you got your start in accounting and finance, and did you always want to be a bean counter? Was this the dream? No, I, uh, I went to school and got a degree in arts management, which is the business side of the arts. And uh, I got, you know, three quarters of the way through my program and realized that the jobs were going to be few and far between. And most of them were going to be grant funded, which means that I would have to, uh, you know, be dependent on a grant being renewed in order to have job security. And so I was, you know, pretty far down the road in that in, in terms of my education. And um, I got an internship at a radio station. So I sort of, you know, slightly changed course and, and got into the commercial side of the arts, if you will. I got into radio and I spent 10 years in the music business. Um, I worked in music venues. I worked at a radio station. I worked for a record store. I worked for a record label. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting something in there, but just kind of all aspects of it. Um, I spent, you know, a lot of time taking a tour around all, all parts of that industry. And, uh, then it got to be, you know, I got to be kind of late twenties and I thought, well, this has been fun, but there's no real path forward. So I was looking for my exit strategy and, um, you know, I'd always heard do what you love and the money will follow. So I'm like, okay, so I make a list of what I'm interested in. And it's a very long list. And while that's going on, I was also the same dork who would get my bank statements in the mail and I would make hand-drawn charts and graphs of how I spent my money. I'm not kidding. And so, um, you know, somebody suggested like, Hey, maybe you should think about being an accountant. And I thought, that is the most boring thing I've ever heard. Um, but I, uh, I knew that like there was this company called Paychecks. It was payroll processing. And I knew that they had a tuition reimbursement thing. So I could like go back to school, check out some accounting classes, learn a new skill set, and I could do it on somebody else's dime. So I thought, okay, well, it's kind of low risk, you know, situation. So got into accounting. Um, and what that sparked in me was just, it got me closer to business again. And I've always really loved business. I've always enjoyed learning about people's business and talking business and accounting was kind of brought me closer back to that world. So I, um, went back to school. I earned a post back in accounting, um, earned my CPA, got a job at a public accounting firm, 
Um, and then I've been in, in Perkins, actually the firm where I am now, I've been there for four or five years and it's like one of these regimented tracks where you kind of have to put in the time before you're going to get promoted. And, and like, you have to have so many years of like grinding it out before you're going to get client facing and be able to do business development and stuff like that. And that was really unsatisfying because what I was really interested in was like working with clients, rolling up my sleeves, getting my hands dirty to help them move their business forward. And I felt like I was kind of trapped in this situation that um, I didn't really like what I was doing. I was in doing taxes exclusively. And I was also being hamstrung and not given opportunity to do what I wanted to do. So I thought, fuck it. And I left and I saw an opportunity because I had some clients that um, I did their tax returns. They were breweries and they would pay more to get their books clean at the end of the year so that their tax return could be complete than they spent on the tax return himself, itself. And so I thought, well, there's a total hole in the market here. I mean, these people have no idea how their business is doing through the year. And then they get this like sliver of time between getting their books clean versus when that information is going to be completely outdated. So I thought, okay, this industry needs access to someone with a skill set. Maybe they just need to talk to them once a quarter, but they need good, solid data they can rely on. So I basically quit my job and went out on my own with that premise. And, um, and, and I also had a devotion to the industry. Like I wanted to go out with a specialty in a particular industry and use that niche strategy to grow business. And that's what I did. And it worked. And so I started out offering contract controller services and then that grew into bookkeeping and payroll and taxes. And um, it just kind of grew and grew and grew and took on a life of its own. So I had my own company uh, for seven years. We had about 12 to 15 employees, give or take. Um, and then it got to the point where uh, it was just too much for me to manage on my own. And I needed a larger environment, not only for my ability to manage the work, but also for the sake of our clients, because they're, you know, as the industry was evolving, clients' needs were getting more and more complex. And I didn't have the skill set to serve all of their needs. So I needed access to a larger environment. And I had always enjoyed the people that I worked with at Perkins. I enjoyed the values of the company and opened the door to conversations with them. And so then I I merged my practice back into theirs about a year and a half ago. So um, that was a pretty long story, but yeah, it's been a quite a circuitous path. Um, but it, it's funny because a client of mine asked me the other day, he's like, are you really an accountant? And I was like, no, I'm a humanitarian first and accounting is my, just my avenue. But um, yeah, that's kind of a long story, but no, that, that's, that's how I ended up. Yeah. Love hearing the background. Yeah. I mean, just think you could have been the, uh, you could have been an arts manage, manager for starving artists, but yet here you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is that it all kind of comes full circle because there are so many craftspeople who start breweries and they do have a very kind of artist take on their on their craft and what they're bringing to market. So, And then you also have like sort of a chaotic mindset oftentimes that you're working with. So it's funny how that sort of serves serves the client even, you know, 20 years later. So 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's all connected. Whatever you learn in the past, you know, somehow will serve you here in the present. And it, so, yeah, the pull of the numbers was strong, right? I mean, and I liked what you said about uh, the business side, you know, because I think what there may be a perception maybe around CPAs and finance people that, oh, they just care about the numbers. And it's sort of this thing unto itself, you know, getting the tax return done, getting the financial statements done, as opposed to, well, not really. That's the scorecard of how we're doing as business people. And as you had said earlier, that's the data that we can then use to make better decisions to drive improvement, not just financially, but operationally. That part, that gets me excited as well. I don't, debits and credits and taxes really just don't excite me. You have to do them. You have to, that's the structure of it, but it's really, how do you, how do you combine that business knowledge with this finance knowledge, this business literacy, financial literacy? I think that part's pretty cool. Yeah. And especially in the brewing world, every financial question that you ask to answer it, you're going to have to get into operations. And so, you know, as a service provider, the more that you can better understand the operations, um, that's going to put you in a better position to get a better outcome, um, to sufficiently answer the question. So it, uh, the finance and the operations go hand in hand. It's so important to to know both deeply. Absolutely. Um, so given that in working with, you know, brewery owners and managers, as you do, what are you hearing as sort of the top financial issues or challenges? What are they, what questions are they asking now and that they need help with? Uh, I mean, currently this is such an anomaly year, but hot topic is around PPP right now. And, how to apply for forgiveness, when to apply, what are the tax implications, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot going on about PPP. Um, outside of that, um, there's a lot of conversation around how to adjust our business model to stay successful when sales have started to skew more into packaged goods than drafts. So for a lot of people, you know, pre-2020, they had one you know, split of sales, like maybe it was going to be 60% draft, 40% packaged goods. And now in this COVID era, it might be 70% packaged goods, 30% draft. And so they're looking at the change in margins, regardless of what the, the volume is doing. But, you know, the more that your sales skew into packaged goods, the less margin you're going to have. So that means that you're not going to be as profitable. So how do you adjust that business model to accommodate this change? So we talk a lot about that with clients. Um, And then also, you know, identifying where we're winning, um, how to clearly see the results of of our different SKUs or product lines or sales channels or geographic regions. But um, the general theme of like, uh, we need more detailed data. That's that's a common topic also. Mm. That's a great point on the... uh shifting business model because i don't know if that caught breweries unawares but to your point well when when on-premise shut down and if you're a draft heavy and certainly a taproom heavy brewery and now you're well now let me shift into package but not quite understanding the margin differential is radical right it's you go from taproom to package through a wholesaler or self it's like holy smokes so that that that's a very interesting point really how to adjust the business model to deal with the new margin structure. Yeah, it can be incredibly frustrating to people because, you know, if you look at top line, you think, 
wow, you know, we're really not doing that bad considering that it's COVID and perhaps even our sales are up. But then you look at the bottom line, it's like, oh man, that doesn't feel very good. And so it's like how to uh, make all the pieces fit together and how do you reconcile feeling good about top line sales, having a, a diminishing return on your bottom line? So there's a lot of thinking things through in terms of that. You had mentioned, uh, I'm curious what typical mistakes you might see with brewery businesses related to sort of financial reporting or accounting. You had mentioned one earlier relative to not separating the different lines of business and kind of pulling those apart so you can analyze it. Uh, any common themes, common mistakes, things that you see like, oh, yep, there I see that a lot. Yeah. Um, so on on the topic of not separating out wholesale and well, so first there's not separating wholesale and retail activity, which is, is important because there are different margins with that. But then, you know, by the way, retail includes tap room or restaurant. So then there's this like lack of understanding that, uh, or maybe a lack of appreciation that uh, you as a business owner are running two very different businesses and they, you know, have different, benchmark expectations for each. So um, I think that I wouldn't necessarily call it a mistake, but I think there's significant room for improvement in regards to that. Um, And then another thing that I see a lot is not fully investing in software that's been purchased um, or implemented. So a lot of times, you know, business owner or core decision maker, whoever it is, is going to say, oh, I need this software because it's going to it has the ability to do exactly what we need. And then they, they put it in, they turn it on, but they don't give it the attention, the, the care and feeding that that system really demands to be uh, a revolutionary tool in their business. So um, a lot of times to fully take advantage of a software, it requires behavioral changes in many different parts of the organization. And it's, um, maybe a little bit of a hands-off approach and not fully investing in that to maximize, to maximize uh, the, the tool that you bought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Have you ever seen a brewery or any business fully maximize their software? I mean, gosh, a hundred percent. I, I don't know, maybe not. Um, but I have seen some that, that, certainly um, get close. And not only are they maximizing the tool that they have in front of them, they also, I, you know, I've seen breweries who build their own business analytics tools out of Power BI. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool because then they're, they're coupling um, data from multiple different sources. They might be using Power BI as a, as a place where they can bring together data from their accounting software, from their sales portal, whether, you know, if they're using IRI or Nielsen or VIP or whatever the case may be to pull in that data. And then they're um, looking at it in different ways through the tools available in Power BI. So, um, I mean, there are breweries out there that do that and they are winning uh, to a degree that the others just aren't. Mm-hmm. Winning the data game. 
I wanted to circle back and just underscore a couple of points that you had made about, you know, mistakes or themes or, you know, maybe, you know, we only say mistakes so that we can point out areas where uh, folks can borrow best practices or improve. But that was an interesting point relative to the tap room slash brew. So if you're a restaurant and for lack of a better word, say a bar, you know, those are two very different uh, business models, two very different uh, margins on those products. And do you recommend... I don't think that I've thought about it this way. I te- te- tend to advise, you know, separate the tap room, wholesale, self-distribution if you've got it. But within, do you within the tap room get granular whereby you want to see uh, the results of the restaurant portion of the operation and maybe the beer portion of that operation? Is that, do you, do you separate those two? Uh, y- yes, in, in the way that we set up the chart of accounts. So um, I wouldn't necessarily advocate to create a different department, if you will, in your accounting system for food versus draft beer versus retail beer, all within your tap room. I don't think that's helpful, but within the way that your chart of accounts is set up, I would recommend having, you know, you've got your tap room kind of segregated or your restaurant segregated And then you should set up your income and your COGS accounts that mirror each other. So you would have, you know, food revenue separately stated from draft beer revenue, separately from uh, retail beer revenue. And then in the COGS section, you're going to have your food COGS and draft beer COGS and retail beer COGS so that you can um, you can look at those discrete margins. Um, So, yeah, I think that's super helpful to structure it in that way. Makes sense. Gotcha. Thank you for that. So we're recording this late October 2020. We're nearing year end. And so let's talk a bit about financial year end planning for breweries. What guidance uh, do you have uh, for how brewery owners and managers should be getting ready for year end? Um, Some very basic low hanging fruit, uh, especially in regards to preparing for taxes is, I mean, the number one thing, in my opinion, is to make sure that your books at 1231.19 tie to your tax return at 1231.19. If you hand your CPA, who's going to do your taxes, if you hand them your books and the beginning point doesn't match the ending point from last year, that causes a ton of headache and rework and um, trying to figure out where the differences are. And it's expensive, too. So um, a lot of people will get in that position because uh, generally two reasons, broadly speaking. One is that they've made changes to uh, the books using a date prior to 1231.19 after they've had their tax return done. And so then that means that if you're looking at your retained earnings um, that's on your tax return versus what's in your file, your accounting file, they're not going to match and that's going to be a problem. Um, The other common reason is that when people are getting their return done, it's quite common for a CPA firm to provide adjusting journal entries to the client at the end of the process. And these these are like, you know, depreciation is a really common one. Um, So the intention is that the client goes and uh, books these journal entries in their accounting system that the CPA firm has given them so that their file will match, their 1231-19 numbers will match the tax return. So if that doesn't get done, then you know, you're in the same place where there's this confusion when the CPA goes to do your taxes. 
So bottom line, make sure that the books at 1231.19 agree to this tax return for the same period. The second point is um, just basic bookkeeping cleanup. We all have little things that need to be cleaned up through the year. Just take care of them now. You know, it's like November, December, by and large throughout the country, this is a, a slow time of year. So take that time to address these little, these little things that get out of order in the year. Just clean as you go, get them taken care of so that you're not like rolling towards a deadline of having to give your books to your CPA. And it's, you know that there are messes in there that need to be dealt with. Um, I also think that it's a good idea to have a call with your CPA in November to get a sense of where your taxable income will come in. We're far enough through the year that you can get a good sense of how you'll end up for, for the year. Um, I would say, you know, if you're in a situation where it looks like you'll have taxable income, then inevitably the game is how do I bring that down to zero? But don't just spend money on equipment to get additional depreciation. I mean, you know, there needs to be a solid decision-making process in place, solid reasoning to purchase equipment. Um, make sure that those are well-founded and that you have a plan for it. Um, and there are other avenues for driving down taxable income that sometimes get overlooked, like, you know, making additional contributions to a retirement plan or putting in a retirement plan altogether. Um, also R&D credits, while R&D credits will not affect taxable income, it is possible to uh, accumulate credits that will offset income. So it has essentially the same effect. Um, another point on fixed asset purchases is when you rely on depreciation to drive down your income, you can get into a cycle where you, you know, you've every year you're growing, you've got taxable income, you take care of that taxable income by buying fixed assets to drop it down to zero. But eventually that game runs out and you continue to grow, but you don't have any need for new assets and you're going to have to pay the tax. And the, pay, and the tax is going to be, a pretty hefty number because you've already taken all the depreciation on the fixed assets. So you have very little depreciation left to lessen the burden. So, um, you know, I think it can turn into sort of a vicious cycle and also other mechanisms such as retirement plan contributions are more evergreen. And, and what I mean by that is that you can take advantage of them every year. It's not like they run out. And then it also will probably lead to more employee satisfaction. So it can be, you know, a win on multiple levels. Um, just in general, you know, there's no quick fix um, to have the attitude that uh, avoiding tax is the primary business concern, I believe is um, faulty. I, I just think that that's, that's a foolish way to run a business. Um whether you like it or not, tax is a fact of life. And so deal with it in a manageable way. Uh, and then finally, plan for the cash flow impacts of tax. So if you're in a position where you do have taxable income, are you thinking about what are you going to have to pay out in tax distributions to your investors? Or, you know, if you're a flow through company and it's just coming down to you, are you thinking about the kind of cash that you'll need to have on hand in April to pay the tax burden. 
So, you know, just consider the cash flow impacts. And, um, and then finally, squirrel away money for slow months. This is aside from tax, but just as we're nearing year end, ideally, you want to have three months of operating capital on hand. Um, so start to build that up and do some cash flow forecasting so that you can get a sense of how low the lows are going to be and make sure that you feel comfortable threading the needle. Um, so that was kind of a lot, but those are the things that I would advise people to think about as we get towards the end of the year. Yeah, there's definitely a lot there. And I think I, I would, I want to just comment on a couple of things. I think firstly, the way I look at, and I'm probably biased with this, but the way I look at the CPA business owner manager relationship is really one of not only a partnership, but an opportunity uh, for business planning, an opportunity for cash flow planning, opportunity for, in many cases, uh, expense reduction planning. Um, and I don't know that that's the way most business owners look at the CPA relationship. I, I, I do, in my, again, my experience is primarily the CPA relationship is they, they do the taxes. As opposed to, you just listed off probably a dozen things that can make a brewery uh, business more profitable, reduce expenses, uh, focus on business decisions relative to, say, fixed asset purchases. Um, so I guess this is really more a comment than anything relative to this the CPA and business owner relationship. Do you... Um, I, maybe you can you can speak to that. Do you agree with that? And if so, how do you how do you overcome maybe the stigma? If in fact there is a stigma of well, the CPA does the taxes versus oh, the CPA is actually a business partner. I mean, I overcome it just by showing um, just by showing what I can do. I think that. I mean, personally speaking, a lot of times I'll start a client engagement and it might very well be some sort of transactional need. Um, and at the beginning, the client is just looking to fill a transactional void. You know, they need their taxes done or they need whatever, whatever. But it's more in how you deliver that outcome that um, that can change minds. So, um you know, instead of just merely delivering a tax return or whatever it is, like having a conversation with the client about these issues, um, suggesting alternatives, um, demonstrating that you're thinking on their behalf, that you're thinking strategically with them is how I overcome that. Uh, but, you know, finding the right CPA is like finding the right doctor. You don't want to change frequently. Um, and then there are certain things you need them to be competent, but more than that, you need them to understand you, to have good communication skills. You need to be comfortable working with them. So there is a lot about getting that right relationship that is, um, you know, for lack of a better term, like on the soft skill side of things. And, um, you know, you need to be able to trust your CPA, like a relationship that has trust is the strongest of all. And um, you need to be able to find somebody who's willing to go the distance with you in terms of thinking through your business issues. So um, I I don't know. That's kind of a very like theoretical answer, but um, 
I think that a lot of it just comes down to trust and comfort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you said, really delivering the value, right? You're like, yeah, I'm going to do your tax return, but I'm also going to point out to you, you know, these recommendations where you can either make a different business decision or reduce expense in this way or that way. Um, so I think it's that, it's that emphasis on a value added and showing that you're maybe more than just the person that can crank out a tax return because, you know, that's become almost a commodity to some degree, right? We have software that can do it. We have these, you know, H&R block on every corner these days. We're not these days, but coming up in a couple months. Well, let, let us shift gears to uh, your book. So you wrote a book. Congratulations. Uh, Small Brewery Finance, Accounting Principles and Planning for the Craft Brewer. And I do have a copy right here on my bookshelf. So I'd like to hear about the process of writing it. So how did you approach the project? And ultimately, what was your goal in writing the book? Um, I wanted to provide a resource of financial education that was tailored to the industry. Um, the brewing industry has almost no business content written specifically to its needs. And um, in the past, I have taught at a couple university programs. Um, I taught at Portland State in their Business of Craft Brewing program, and then later at the University of Vermont. And um, my time at Portland came to a close when they cut the, the business part of that program. Um, and I was just like, what are you doing? Like of all things that you're going to cut out of the business of craft brewing, you're going to cut the accounting part. And um, I mean, how many people do you know who get into this industry because they love it a ton? And how many of those people know the ins and outs of business before they get in it? Not many. So that means that they need this, this information and I get that it's boring and it's dry oftentimes, but it's the way of the world and it is needed. So, uh, and especially with the way this industry is moving, I mean, so much rapid change and, um, you know, you, you, you can't just float by. I think there was a time, you know, I believe seven to, let's call it seven to 12 years ago where anybody could start a brewery and do reasonably well and not have very good business sense and still get by. But those days have passed us by. And if you want to be even just doing okay, you have to have like a modicum of knowledge of these topics. So anyway, there was a need. And um, I really wanted to be able to, to help people have a resource for that stuff. And, you know, as I mentioned, like a lot of the stuff, very boring, very technical, and it needed a technical forum. But I also wanted a way to... Um, talk about it and communicate with people. I wanted to tell a story. And so that's what I did. I, um, I was really having a hard time starting to write the book. And so eventually I just thought back to lots of conversations I've had with hundreds of people over the years. And I just kind of compiled that into a story about a fictitious brewery. And it kind of goes through the life cycle of the brewery and you get to know the owner as a character and in that story, um, some of these technical topics are woven in. And then um, like the second half of the book is is more of a textbook style. So, I mean, the hope is that the first half was something that people could could follow along with and it would be fairly accessible. And then the last half would be the place where 
you know, they would say, oh, I'm now experiencing the thing that, you know, the character in the book went through. And and then they go and look up the technical part. Um, but it was trying to find a way to marry, you know, marry technical content to an audience who isn't necessarily interested in spending their Saturday reading about debits and credits. That makes sense. You know, as far as boring and technical, yes, it can be. I like to spin it and say, what's more exciting than improving your margins, your profitability, and your cash flow? Tell me, because I have not found it yet. Well, let's just say it's in the, <laughs> let's say it's in the top five of, of exciting things to improve those items. So the book's great. I definitely encourage everybody to pick up a copy. Uh, I know it's on Amazon, and I know Brewers Publications has it. Is there and maybe we can put this in the show notes if you want to send me a direct link. I've, I've certainly, you know, I've got a copy. I've found it in those areas. Any other places that's easier to to grab a copy of it or are those the ones? No, those are those are the two primary places. I think there are bookstores that have it also, but um, I don't know them by name. So, yeah, Amazon, BA's website. Start there. Excellent. Cool. Maria, this was great. I think we covered a lot of ground, hopefully a lot of useful, valuable information Uh, for craft brewery owners and managers here uh, as we approach year end and then throughout the year as far as planning and all the topics we covered. If people want to get in touch with you or learn more about the services you provide, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Our firm's website is perkinsaccounting.com. You can also email me directly, mpeerman at perkinsaccounting.com. But um, yeah, those are both great ways to find out more. Awesome. Really enjoyed the conversation, Maria. Thanks so much. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to the Craft Brewery Financial Training Podcast, where we combine beer and numbers so that you can improve financial results in your brewery. For more resources, tools, guides, and online courses, visit craftbreweryfinancialtraining.com. And don't forget to sign up for the world-famous Craft Brewery Financial Training Newsletter. Until next time, Get out there and improve financial results in your brewery today.